coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. So it's the muscle that is, I act when I don't want to, that muscle, you want to strengthen that. And the, the way to strengthen the muscle of acting when I don't want to is by always acting when you don't want to, mm-hmm. right? And so the more you act when you don't want to, the more you get in the habit of doing it. It's like, it's mm-hmm. funny about the gym too, because when you're feeling like crap and you don't want to go to the gym, after 10 minutes at the gym, you feel okay. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a natural, it's a natural painkiller and energy producer. You know, when I have a headache, I know I need to work out. Like I, I work out, drink a glass of water and I'm good to go, you know? So it just, it's like repetition, building those habits and finding some kind of why that matters enough. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interview the CEO of Wild Foods and podcast host of Better Human Podcast, Colin Stuckert. We discussed his lessons around entrepreneurship, keys to productivity, how to overcome excuses in health and life, along with his top supplement choices, and which fats should you be consuming. This is the second time around with Colin. It is fast moving and packed with a ton of great content regarding becoming a better human and optimizing your health. So I know you'll enjoy this one. I did. And thanks so much for listening. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin. And for a second time around, I have the CEO of Wild Foods, Colin Stuckert. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Great to have you back. Um, lot to talk about. Uh, before we go into it, I know uh, last time we talked a little bit about your company, Wild Foods, you started that in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess my question would be, this is a supplement company, obviously. What have you learned from then? I mean, that could be a loaded question, but what have you learned about entrepreneurship and, and just your company at, uh, through the years? Yeah. If I had to distill to one theme, because for the sake of not being here all day long to talk about <laughs> the things I've learned, it would be simplicity. Mm. And it's funny, we're even talking about wild because I've had some changes over the past two years where I sold part of the company, brought on a partner, a private equity group. And then that didn't go the way it was supposed to go. And now we're trying to work through those problems and I'm trying to come back in and fix a lot of those problems. And one theme that is just so important in any business, uh, it's just less, less is more. And mm-hmm. so we had a lot of SKUs and we've been whittling away those SKUs a lot, you know, find the best sellers, whittle away the ones that don't sell as much, which, you know, for, from my perspective as a passion entrepreneur and just wanting to give people great ingredients, I like to have as much as I can, because if somebody likes tea, I want to give them tea. If somebody wants different flavored protein or whatever, I want to give them that. But from a business perspective, it's like the worst thing you can do, right? So it's the Mm -hmm. famous Steve Jobs, come back to save Apple, go from like, I think they had 70 product lines down to like seven. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of painful transition. But then that's what took Apple from the brink of bankruptcy to becoming now the first $3 trillion company in existence. And so simplicity is definitely the big theme, which I'm happy to unpack. And that's related to, you know, having too many SKUs, just having like maybe too many things you're doing, less things focusing on like one or two core things, one or two core product lines, and just being the best in the world as an aspiration at those rather than being just really good at 10 things or 20 things or whatever, right? And the more things that go this way, the more the quality actually comes down. Uh, So that's like in a nutshell, what I've learned. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of known that, but it just takes like, feeling it, like feeling the pain of paying all these invoices and like having things that break because you have too many SKUs and like 
every single extra product and label and bottle and bag just creates complexity and, and waste and loss. And, you know, so yeah, simplicity is a big theme, theme but there's, there's a ton I've learned about just people and life and myself. And, you know, you really learn everything as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Cause you know, you sort of dive in head first, which I know you, you did. Um, and that's, but that's when you learn the most, right? You make mistakes and you keep going. Um, but you talk about simplicity. I think that can be laid out for all different avenues of life, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I talk about it even with people that, um, want to lose weight. There's like, you know, what should you focus on? You should, well, what you should focus on is one thing at a time and get that thing done and be really good at it. It's like, oh, you know, you could, you could fast, you know, um, what about, what am I going to eat? When am I going to eat? Um, stress, sleep. I mean, it's all important, right? But if you don't, mm -hmm. if you, if you just sort of, uh, dabble at one or two or three or four or five things, nothing's going to really be that good. Um, it's until you really focus on one thing. So especially for habit building, when you're trying to build habits and you're trying to build five habits at one time, that leads you more likely to a full risk of ruin, like a full ruin, because then you quit completely and you've done nothing. Right. right? So rather than habit stacking, as they call it, where you do one habit at a time. And then what a habit is most people don't understand is something you do without really having to think about it. Right. This is like literally all civilization around us. This is the free market, the economy, evolution, nature. It's just doing more with less by being more efficient, by having knowledge, by knowing like what works, what doesn't, and then continually stacking that innovation on top of innovation on top of innovation to then you have like airplanes that just fly most of the time and cars that drive most of the time. And, you know, like that's the world we live in. It's just, it's a stacking of things that get done that are efficient that came from the entrepreneurial free market, natural Darwinian process of like learning, failing, learning, failing better, getting better, learning, failing, whatever. And one thing at a time, like, mm -hmm. so yeah, with, with humans, it's like, we can do too much. And we, we have these really big eyes. Like we see all the possibilities and we want to like be just like that person mm -hmm. that like, they look awesome on social media, but it took them 20 years to get there. Right. Mm -hmm. Or that overnight entrepreneurial success that literally was making no money for 10 years and, you know, borrowing money for rent as I have for my mom. And like, and then now you have success and it looks so easy. It's just like, yeah, one, one thing at a time focus. And, you know, it's just like, a, it's like a universal law of, of nature. The, the more you can direct that focus, it's like taking a sun ray and compressing it into a magnifying glass to burn a small point. Whereas if you don't have the magnifying glass to compress it, it's just, it's just sunlight, but you compress it and you can literally create fire. And so like, we need more of that, I think in everything. Yeah. How do you go about that in, in your life? Uh, you know, cause you have a lot of things going on. Obviously you have the, you have your podcast, you have your company. Um, how do you make them? Cause this is something that I struggle with a little bit. Sometimes I've gotten better at it, but like becoming productive and, the, and, and, and getting the most out of my days, because it's like, like as an entrepreneur, you don't have a, you don't have someone telling you what to do. You don't have a boss that's saying, you know, do this, do this, this. And we all feel good when we get things done, you know? So how do you, how do you try to make your days productive and efficient as possible? Yeah, that's a big question because then you get into productivity and then you get into things like deep work, uh, batching, you know, not being distracted, like focus. So I'll just try to list out some of the first principles here. So the first principles of being pro a product, a productive okay. entrepreneur that managed him or herself, right? is you have to block out a couple hours every day where you're in complete isolation, solitude, where you can focus, right? That means no notifications on. That means like ideally one thing at a time. And that's where I'm in, in my office now. So when we moved from the country, we I had an office there because the house was big enough. Uh, but I still kind of heard the kids and like I'd get interrupted from time to time. And so like, it was still like, uh, I kind of 
still like leaving the house and going to coffee shop for that reason, just to have nothing around me. Mm. And so when we moved back to Austin into a smaller house, I knew that I needed an office. So before I had a, a lease on a, a property, I already had an office, right? I had already mapped that out. And so I come here and the idea is phone off airplane mode. Uh, it's, I, this is where I record is where I write. It's where I spend probably an hour and other like deep work projects where I'm just trying to like do one thing at a time. And then I, I leave all the other shallow work stuff, uh, like a, as it, as it comes or as I come to it way, whereas I, the deep work routine, putting as much into that period of time as possible, like the really meaningful, impactful stuff. And this is where you get into ideas like Gary Keller's, the one thing book, uh, Cal Newport's deep work. You should read, you can get into, there's a few other productivity books that are pretty good, but it's like. When you batch, batch things around environment and schedule and energy, that's really big too, because like early in the day, when you have the most energy and focus, that's when you should be doing the most important work. It's not when you should be on social media or like answering email, save email for when you're tired or right? save phone calls for later when you're driving, like you, you batch things based on environment and energy. And then when you are doing them, it's that simplicity. It's the power of now. It's the power of one thing at a time with intense focus, rather than trying to do a bunch of things. And if you look at the world today, humans are distracted. Like we're distracted and it's creating right. all kinds of mental defects. And it's, 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 it means we're, are, we can't build habits. We get distracted. We, we try to do too much. We take on in that world, in that environment, you win by focusing because everybody else is going all these different directions and you go this direction. And we already see with the internet, when you have, you know, six, seven billion humans that can compete, you got to be the best at something to get attention. It's no longer just showing up and like opening your door and the market comes to you. Like on the internet, if you're not literally at the fringes of the best in the world, you won't get attention, right? So yeah, there's, it's, it's some combination of a focus simplicity, one thing at a time, batching things. Like don't answer your email 10 times a day, answer it once. Like don't text throughout the day, have 30 minutes where you answer texts, like things like that. But it comes down again to energy. It's like, is your energy being spread thin? Is it being used efficiently on one thing at a time? Is it like bouncing this way to that way, whatever. That like- those principles apply to something like getting work done, productivity, but also how you think about your health, how you manage your health, how you manage your time, how you spend time with your kids and not be on your phone, like whatever. So yeah, I mean, the themes always come down to some principle. And that's why for me, like life, the way I think about life is what are the first principles here? What are the things I know for sure? What's nature? And then just try to stay as close to that realm of understanding as possible and remove all the analogy and all the things we think we knew, all the assumptions, all the expectations and just operate in that simple now truth and it applies to everything. Yep. Applies to everything. Yeah. And, uh, uh, what about like, do you plan, are you planning your day the day before? Um, cause like for me, I find that if I don't write the things I want to do the next for the next day, they don't get done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it could be good and bad in the sense that sometimes I'll write things down that I, you know, it's not that I don't need really, it's not like high on priority. So I, do you prioritize, when you write things down and, and how do you go about doing that? Yeah. The writing down the next day doesn't work for me as much because I've replaced that with having a pretty set schedule routine. So like for t- today, for example, I went and looked out a property with a potential uh, partner of mine. We're maybe doing like a community center out here in Austin, gym community center, which is really cool thing, exciting. But like when I schedule a meeting at 1245 to see a property and it's on the opposite side of town of my office, and then I get here and then I got the podcast at four, it's like, I normally have four to five hours of time that I I know in some way I'm going to be able to write, record, process my email at the end, 
do some deep work. And like, when I know that I have that time, I'll know I'll go and do things that are productive in that time. Then within that window, I can kind of sometimes shift things around. So like, for example, writing for me is, is big. Recording the podcast is big. So I always try to get those in. And then I fill in the one-time things like, do I want to do some personal investing stuff? Look at some real estate. Do I want to, you know, think deeply about this new project I'm working on? Do I want to like brainstorm? Do I want to write more? Do I want to record a course? And so it's like, you need to give yourself a little bit of fluidity to be able to change those things as they come. Because like you said, you might identify this task as not actually being that important right now. And maybe you need to do this other big thing. And so you got to feel okay, letting that go, even though you might've planned it ahead of time. It's different strokes for different folks, but the theme at the end of the day and why every corporation on the planet mostly has some kind of schedule is that if you don't set aside time for things and have some kind of repeatable schedule, you're not going to be able to build like you can't build on top of something that's all over the place. You have to build on a foundation and work is built upon a foundation that is a schedule. So, you know, like I tell people that want to be entrepreneurs because over years, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and, you know, people always want to do it. They think it's great. Most of them don't do it for various reasons. And I don't think most people should be an entrepreneur, but we all have to manage ourselves, you know, one way or the other. I tell them, it's like, if you could just set aside two hours a day to just be alone and focus on something. It doesn't matter what it is. Like you will, you will amaze yourself at what you get accomplished after a year of doing that. Yeah. I think people, I mean, nowadays it's like, if, if you're working full time, you have kids, it's easy to make excuses. I, I find that sort of in the health and wellness realm, um, make excuses either to not take care of their health or, uh, not, you know, not work out. What do you say to those people, um, that are sort of finding excuses in, in every avenue. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, a, there's two things here. There's one, you have to understand your why, because most desires like that, whether it's health or looking, you know, good naked or whatever it is, there's always some really deep why that maybe you don't have a healthy relationship with. Maybe you're doing it in a way because you want to impress somebody and it's like this external validation and it's not really internally driven. You know, for me, it's like, I want to live a long time. I don't want to be at the hospital. I don't want to die early. And, and like a combination of being afraid of dealing with like medical issues, you know, feeling really like crap when I'm sick. Like I'm a baby when I'm sick. Like it just, and then that I'm able even feeling good for six months and maybe it wears off. Right. You got to figure out what your why is, right. Maybe you connect it to like being living a long time for your children, you know, maybe something like that. Maybe it's like, uh, you're, you're going to get married and you want to look good in your wedding dress or something, you know? And so really connecting that why to what you're doing is huge for, for motivation. But, and then, you know, then all the other stuff that gets in the way. Um, I guess the other part of the question is when you're making excuses and you, and you take an opportunity to not do something, what you should think of is my mus my habit muscle just got weaker, right? So it's the muscle that is, I act when I don't want to, that muscle, you want to strengthen that. And the, the way to strengthen the muscle of acting when I don't want to is by always acting when you don't want to, mm -hmm. right? And so the more you act when you don't want to, the more you get in the habit of doing it. It's like, it's mm -hmm. funny about the gym too, because when you're feeling like crap and you don't want to go to the gym, after 10 minutes at the gym, you feel okay. awesome. <laughs> it's like a natural, it's a natural painkiller and energy producer. You know, when I have a headache, I know I need to work out. Like I, I work out, drink a glass of water and I'm good to go, you know? So it just, it's like repetition, building those habits and finding some kind of why that matters enough. 
Yeah. And it's, you know, we, I talk about the why quite a bit and you know, it's interesting. You have clients still where, where you think you, they found their why, but obviously maybe they haven't and and it doesn't drive them enough. Um, cause you know, these people habits are crazy. They've been doing the same thing. They've been drinking Coke or whatever it is for Mm -hmm. 50 years and that they don't care. You know, they, they won't give up that habit. So I have some ideas around that actually. So yes, like the deep internal work and maybe even like psychotherapy and, and, and going deep into your childhood, like all those things for some people, they absolutely need to do those. I'm the type where, uh, for whatever reason, I've been fortunate where I'm more of a forward facing person and I might have some like childhood trauma that directs like certain personality quirks I have or whatever, but I'm not, I'm just not somebody that is really in a fixed mindset, like, oh, this is my identity type of person. I've been able to overcome that in whatever ways I've done that. And most of that has been like severe pain and like losing people and like experiencing how hard life really can be. So I feel like that that's the thing I had to do. Some people got to do it another way, you know? Mm. That being said, what people don't understand about habits and what they usually don't ever look to to change when it comes to habits is their environment. They're yeah. like, oh, um, I'm going to stop drinking Coke. And like, I really want to stop drinking Coke. And so like, I just need to like force through it and, and really, oh, they, they, they like try to fire themselves up or psych themselves out. But then they don't like stop buying Coke or they, they don't stop keeping Coke like in the pantry somewhere or the, this, this or that or whatever. They don't stop hanging out with the people that are drinking Coke at lunch all the time. You know, right. if you don't go at the root level of like, how does Coke even enter mm-hmm. your consciousness and then try to mitigate that. That might even be something as simple as I'm walking down the aisle in the grocery store and I know this aisle's got the soda and the chips and I'm going to just like literally put blinders on and force myself to walk past that. And like, I'll keep trying to turn that way. I'll keep trying to turn that way. And then finally I'm going to get to the register and then I'm going to have somebody come in line behind me in the register. And then now it's too late to go get my Coke because literally I can't like walk away from the register. It's like, you have to psych yourself out in ways like that to mitigate your environment. Because if you don't, do it at that root core level. If you don't like cut it off, it will just rot and creep back into your life. Yeah. I, I completely agree about changing the environment because it's like, for example, at my house, we don't, we just don't buy the stuff. <laughs> the stuff you can't that we buy could, it. You right. eat it if you buy it. I'm the same way. If it's yeah. in the house, I eat it. I'll find it. I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, I'm like sugar carbs. Like I'm in a zombie like steak. <laughs> and I tell Allison, I'm like, babe, you can't keep that stuff there. You have to, if we have chocolate, you have to hide it in your room somewhere because I'll just find it. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I always say. Just don't buy it. But yeah, I think it gets tough when there's two people living in a house, maybe sure. even with kids. I think, yes, the, the, like, what do you do if two out of the three are fine eating it and the, and the third person is not? Like you said, you almost have to lock it away or well, hide it. And I was <laughs> going to say lock there. There are products there. They're on Amazon where you can buy a combination lock that you can put in the fridge or in a cabinet somewhere or whatever. And you put that stuff that you really shouldn't be eating and you give somebody else the key. And maybe you have a contract with them where you're saying, okay, after dinner, you can give me half this chocolate or two squares or whatever. And other than that, I don't care how much I beg and plead and threaten, do not unlock this thing any other time of the day. (laughs) That is an environmental restriction because for most people, they're not going to get in their car and drive 20 minutes to the store and like go through that whole rigmarole. If you have enough of a, of a, path of resistance between you and the thing, the thing that you want, if you can do that, then you're more likely to make the better decision. And then over time, as you make that better decision, that better decision muscle gets stronger and that Coke drinking muscle atrophies. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. You have to just do it for long enough until they say, you know, build the habit. But at the same time of building the habit, you have to kill the other habit. Mm-hmm. It's like a combination. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I'm going to, I got a client that's like hooked on Coke. <laughs> it's like, 
that stuff's like find out where they shop even and like like create like a, 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 a go around the grocery store path like that's how deep you have to get with some of this stuff crazy i mean if you're an alcoholic think about it. if you're an alcoholic you're not supposed to go to bars you're not supposed to hang out with people that drink you're not even supposed to like talk about drinking or whatever anything that can trigger you to go there because people understand how like hard it is and to break something like that well guess what They've done research where they've shown sugar is more addictive than cocaine, where the rats will literally go to the sugar over the cocaine and they'll just mm. keep hitting the thing, sugar, 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 sugar. So it's like <laughs> it humans are still humans and there's biochemistry and there's dopamine and there's all these hormones that direct us to want sugar, to want these tasty foods that, and that scientists have engineered to be addicting. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you don't environmentally um, curate, like mitigate that, you're not going to win. Like, and that's, I think the core, another core lesson here is like, most people get into the self-conflict thing where they blame themselves and then they, and that's like a downward negative spiral of negativity. Then they are like, Oh, I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to do anything. Mm. That's not what you want to do. You want to remove self-conflict. So like, if you do happen to cheat, I recommend everybody, everybody stop beating yourself up about it. Stop living in the past. Stop creating this fixed mindset or I'm, I'm never going to do this, or I'm, I'm just this way or whatever. Stop all that negative self-talk and focus on, okay, I'm going to enjoy this cheat meal right now or whatever this is. I'm going to enjoy it in the moment. I already made the decision. I don't need self-conflict about it. I don't need to live in the past. Now let's figure out how to mitigate this for the next step. And it might take 20 out of a hundred of these cheat things in a year, like where the hundred, like 80 is like, you kind of made a good decision, 20 you didn't or whatever, whatever that ratio is for you people go into it expecting to like have a hundred percent perfection. And that's just completely and utterly ridiculous. Right. And so as you remove self-conflict, as you understand the numbers better and you give your, yourself leeway to just be human and, and, and you kind of give yourself like a buffer of like, I should expect to, to like fail on this a certain amount of time or whatever, or maybe a different word than fail. Then you can remove a lot of the negative spiral that people fall into where they do it more and more. And then they convince themselves they should do it more and more because they didn't live up to some ideal perfection. And then that's just like a downward spiral. You don't want to get into yeah, that's good. And I also think too, there's this level of being comfortable, right? Like it's like, I always think like when I first started doing fasting, um, it was uncomfortable. I, I, I couldn't do it for hardly any time. Like, it, and I was like, oh, and then it got easier and easier. It's almost like mm -hmm. a fasting muscle. Yep. Um, and I just think, let's just go back to the Coke analogy. It's just comfortable, right? It's something that he's just known forever. Um, and at some point you got to get a little uncomfortable. You know, yeah. Well, the this is, I mean, this is a little bit more for the optimization side of like peak human, but the more comfortable you can be with being uncomfortable in everything that's physical, that's mental, right? right. That's it, that might be entrepreneurship. Like, the more you can go on those sales calls that you really don't want to do, and then after 50 of them, you're just like, this is normal. And then you and then you move uncomfortability to comfortability because you get good at the thing, right? Mm. That's what that's all mastery is. Mastery is going into something that you're not good at and, and you like it's painful as you do it, right? Because you're failing and maybe the, the world's telling you you're failing or showing you how you're failing and you're struggling with that. But if you stay at it doggedly because you want to get better and then over time you get better and better and better. And then eventually you have, like we said, you stack those habits and then that's who you are. And now you don't even think back to that past self that struggled so much early on. I mean, most of the really great um, masters of whatever it is, they come from the entire opposite end of massive failure. That's usually why they have such massive success, right? Yeah. A lot of billionaires were actually living in their car at one point. Like Paul Mitchell, he used to live in his car starting the Paul Mitchell brand. His, his name isn't Paul Mitchell. Some, I forget his name, but he's a billionaire now. The yeah. guy that started the Paul Mitchell brand, he used to live in his car. Oprah used to live in her car.
Like it's, it's and that's the duality. It's like the, the more you sink on the low end of pain and misery, the more upside opportunity you have because that's your barometer and they're connected. The duality of everything is always connected. Oh yeah. No, that's good stuff. And, um, on another note, I, I had a note, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, just with your company and what you've learned as far as supplementation. I thought this would maybe be a good route to go. Cause we, I don't talk a lot about, uh, on, on this podcast, but we talk a lot about, you know, dietary habits and fasting and, uh, just had Barton Scott, I mentioned to your buddy, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about, you know, mineral hair analysis. So, um, it's amazing where the science is going with all this. Um, mm-hmm. but what if someone, and this is sort of from my own good too, I mean, the supplement industry is bonkers, <laughs> right? I mean, as, as you know, there is so much out there and even for myself, I, you know, I, I sort of, um, find myself going back and forth as to what I really want to, um, consume. Um, what would you say? if you're going to say like top three or top four for individuals, I know it depends on the person and this and that, but what would Mm -hmm. you say the things that maybe have stood out over the years? Yeah. Top, top three or four, or maybe five, Yeah, you know, from what I'm taking is the first thing about supplements is our food supply is depleted in nutrients and it's becoming more and depleted as more and more big agribusiness and more and more of the food is turned into mass industrialized whatever, right. That that's the byproduct. Uh, you know, farm, the farming, what's normal today is to com- basically strip mine the soil of nutrients and get as much yield and profit out of mass crops as possible, as fast as possible before eventually that land is, is dead and hollow fallow. Right? right. And so that's like a big, big problem. And, you know, a lot of people like doing regenerative agriculture, trying to solve this and, and whatever. And so that's like a big, important thing. Um, but in the modern industrial environment that we live in, like you live in, I can tell you live in a house. So you live in a neighborhood somewhere. I'm in my office. I got, I got condos around me, like apartments and everything. And, you know, we have HEB, we have Whole Foods. We have, um, we have like local meat suppliers. I get some stuff online, but for the most part, a lot of the food, even locally produced, you know, is going to be coming from soil that is compromised and from an environment that is polluted. And, you know, even small farmers, maybe they have to use certain synthetic uh, hormones and pesticides here and there. Maybe they cut corners. Like there's just so much that goes into food. And to reach a, a level where we have 8 billion humans, because science hasn't really figured it out yet, nor, nor is a free market, there's going to be trade-offs, right? If we all like move down to Costa Rica and like all the food is like wild and grown naturally and we're like catching, I mean, even fish can be a problem because of heavy metals. But like, let's just say we, we are like as close to a wild environment as possible in our eating. Like that, that's just reserved for like a small percent of the population around the world that are living in very small rural communities that are doing that. And even those communities are becoming more industrialized. So they're moving more to monocropping and pesticides and this and, and whatever. So that's the case for supplementation. The problem with supplementation is are, are many. <laughs> the, the number one problem I would say is the trust and the lack of transparency and re- regulations in supplement supplements, right? Like you can pretty much put anything in a bottle and you could pony up some fake COA analysis forms that, or or like they could have even been good ones that you did a year ago. And then you use those and say, this is what's in my product. And there is so little checks and balance to that. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's incredible. So this is, I mean, this is what the wild brand was based on. It was based on, I didn't know what was in anything I was taking. I thought I could source it for myself personally, like just to know, cause I was like obsessed about what the quality was in these things. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, maybe some other people will be interested in this. And that's why it took off. And that still matters. I mean, trusting the brand you buy from trusting their sourcing standards, you know, trusting that they're spending 
a healthy amount of their cost of goods on the ingredient themselves rather than on marketing and whatever. I mean, it's amazing what you can get like bulk vitamin C powder from China for like pennies mm. on the pound. Right. And then you just throw that in whatever. And then you also have fillers and other things. And there is a lot, right. Yeah. Then there's the complexity of knowing what's what, what is the difference between magne magnesium citrate and magnesium and the other six other sources, some of which I don't even know. Right. right like which right. one should I take? So there is a lot to it. It's very complex. But again, simplicity, that seems like to be the theme here today. Simplicity mm -hmm. is what are the big things most people are deficient in? Well, most people aren't getting outside in sunlight. So vitamin D and maybe like a K2 in some way would be ideal. You know, getting in sunlight too, though, not in, not in replacing getting outside, but getting outside as much as possible, plus maybe supplementing with that. Uh, some, some cod liver and or fish oil omega-3, I recommend, because most of the industrialized food we eat is very omega-6 heavy. And even some of the foods we eat that might be omega-3 predominant are going to be lacking because of the industrialized, the diet, the other things that go into the animals and whatnot, right? So that's a big one. Mm -hmm. uh, magnesium is a big one. It's one of the most, uh, most deficient nutrients. I think women too, it might be the number one in women, but we all don't get enough magnesium for various reasons, mostly because of soil health. Right. So magnesium is massive. And if you struggle with sleep, that's, that's big. Uh, there's a few others. Like I take GABA and choline and berbine for um, longevity. What about creatine? Oh, that's actually a good one. That, that popped up my, on my radar recently. Mm -hmm. uh, so the paleo effects founders, Keith Norris and Michelle Norris just wrote a book. It's kind of basic, like paleo, whatever. And I always like to read those things just to like refresh my, my basics, get my core down. And so I bought it, listened to it. And they did have a chapter on supplementation and how Keith had done an experiment where he tried to prove that you could get all of your nutrients from food only, and he ended up proving you couldn't. <laughs> so then, so then he, then he figured out a supplement stack because of that. Right. Mm. So, um, creatine was one of the ones they recommend because it is actually like potent in a lot of other processes in the body. It's not just for building muscle. It's, I believe it's a potent antioxidant as well. And I lift and I like to build muscle anyways, and I'm not really taking anything for that. And I thought, you know, creatine, if it's got health benefit and some muscle building benefit, I'm going to take five grams a day. So yes, the problem with creatine is I still, to this day, haven't been able to figure out where they get it from. And like, like, can I get an organic source of food that, that we then extract creatine from? Like, like, I still you, think that product yeah. needs to exist, you know? Have you looked into having it in your company or is that just not? It's, 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 it's not something that I looked into okay. deeply because like, it wasn't more of a, it was more of a demographic mismatch, more of a bodybuilding thing, but it's something that if I applied the wild sourcing method to it, I would go to all the sources and I would say, first, what is the raw food item or mineral or like tree or root? Where are you getting this raw ingredient from? Then how are you synthesizing it, extracting it, whatever you're doing? What is that process? And then like, is that all that happens or do you do some other things? That's how hmm. I go to the sourcing level with wild is I try to go, what is the ideally from an organic, like small grown wild, even a wild source, like a lot of mushrooms are wild source, which is even better because then no man has adultered it, right? So that's what you want to do with every supplement there is. And, and most of the supplements on the market aren't done that way, you know? So, cause, cause it's like time consuming, it's expensive. A lot of those supply chains aren't built out. Yeah. So they're, they're, you, you, you're trying to go to companies that, that have been around a while that like, you know, they, they're probably reputable. They're a US based company. And I bought other things from them and I've been happy with their ZMA. So I just go to them for the creatine. Uh, I think there's definitely innovation to be had there. If somebody can source like an organically derived, like real food source creatine, I would, I mean, I would be a core customer. I buy that every single, every single day, you know? Right. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I know it comes from, um, some of the foods I know meat and fish there, there's some, there's some creatine in it, but not a, not a lot. Um, 
that's probably not their source though. That's the thing, because if, if it can't fit into a supply chain and be profitable, they'll then try to go to other sources or they'll try to synthetically make it to create a supply chain where there's profit, right? Which is where you get with a lot of this stuff. Like you might have vitamin C that's synthetic, that's combined or, or I don't even know how they make it, right? Or it's like, it's like grown on like mold or something, mm-hmm. or you might have it derived from like cherries, for example. I'm going to always opt for the cherries because I, I, lo- I know at least that the cherries came out of earth herself rather than made in a lab. Right, right. right. Are there any other ones that come to, to your mind? So you may, mentioned vitamin D with K2, totally agree, especially I'm in Chicago and <laughs> we're not outside right now. Mm-hmm. Um, omega-3s, magnesium, was there any, anything else that stood out? I take choline, GABA, okay. uh, burbine for longevity. Uh, I'm doing the creatine now. I do a vitamin C. We have an immune product that has vitamin C and a couple other things in it that I take just to like have it here and there, especially during the winter season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, I really have a, a cabinet full of stuff. <laughs> those are the core that I take. And then what I try to do is I try to just like, every time I open that cabinet, look at something I haven't had in a while and maybe, maybe throw a few in there in, in here and there. And then, you know, like I got to give a shout out to Barton Scott and upgraded formulas because doing the hair test with him, that was really important for dialing what supplements that I need to take minerals specifically. Right. And so I mm. recommend everybody do that. Check that out. And that, what, what did you learn from that? Cause I actually, I have my kit here. I've not sent it in. I got to do that, but, um, what make sure there's enough hair because I had, I sent it <laughs> two tests. I couldn't get enough hair and I had to wait till I get a haircut. And then I just like literally gave him a pile of hair. So which my question is, so you have to give a decent amount. Yes. I remember I they say my, a teaspoonful, but like, I feel like more. if your hair is thicker or thinner, right. Just like literally as much hair as you can possibly, <laughs> you know, just spare. Like, okay. Just I'll just shave sure. my head. <laughs> yeah. And so they test it. They test it three times. That's why. So they need enough hair to test three times to have a consistent mm. um, recommendation. Uh, what I found was my mercury was kind of high. A couple mm. of my ratios were high. I had high potassium because I was actually holding on to potassium. So this is a weird thing where you actually want to do the consult. I had high potassium, which you would think that means I don't need potassium, but because my body was holding on to potassium, mm-hmm. I actually need more potassium, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those counterintuitive things. And then my magnesium was a little on the low end. Uh, I think iodine, there was a thing in there. And then there's all these other mineral pairs that are based on kind of like inflammation where like this pairs to that. And you want one that's like higher and lower, like it's relative. Right. And that's really where you got to get like the, the, the experts he has yeah. to, to help you figure that out. Okay. But like my mom, my mom did it. Allison did it and you get your own curated uh, now, mineral test. So it's awesome. Now your wife did it. She, she didn't care about cutting her hair because <laughs> my wife saw that she's like, yeah, cutting my, like a big spot in my head. You know, I, I'm sure you can go in the way for a trim, you know, or haircut. Yeah. I say, okay. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about my last micro podcast. I talked about cholesterol and I thought it'd be good. You have a nice uh, sort of guide uh, on your website regarding um, uh, like a fat guide. So mm-hmm. why don't we touch on that? It's just something that I think that it's getting talked about more and more. And I think people are starting to realize that it should be cooking in certain fats. But what, what type of recommendations do you have for people regarding like um, cooking in fats and, and having throughout your, you know, your life? Yeah. So as fat as a topic, it's basically like you want to avoid most of the omega-6 and omega-9. You want to optimize for omega-3 and you want to cook um, mostly in a few very stable high heat temperature fats, right? So that, so like setting aside cooking real quick, which we'll get to, yeah. the question of kind of fat and cholesterol. Well, this is something that I've 
you know, I dived into years ago. So it all, it feels like such a given for me, but I understand that the market still, like some people still are afraid to eat fat. It's kind of bizarre. What people mm-hmm. should be afraid to eat though, is restaurant food, which is full of seed oils right. or packaged baked goods or anything, almost anything that's designed by a mega food company that's on the shelf. I don't care if it's like paleo crackers that has, that has, um, they use almonds and they heat those almonds and bake those. That's omega six. That's pro-inflammatory, right? Like the seed and nut oils, you don't want to cook, you know, and, and even the ones that are considered, you might consider paleo or whatever, they're not actually that great for you. Nuts is not that great of a food, but if you are going to eat nuts, you want them, you want them to be soaked. You want them to be prepped in a way to remove some of the toxins and the anti-nutrients and you don't want to heat them. That's a big one, right? So that's kind of the core thing. Like stay away from soybean oil, corn oil, uh, anything in a deep fryer at a restaurant, anything at, in a restaurant period, they use the flavorless oil, use this canola, they use peanut oil, stuff like that, all that stuff. That stuff is highly pro-inflammatory. That stuff is going to mess up your triglycerides. It's just, it just produces overall infl- inflammation in the body, and it just messes you up. It's just not, it's not good for you. In and, fact, and, and, and the, that's sorry to interrupt you, but the, you know, you go into the to the market, and you might think something's healthy, but you got to read the label. <laughs> oh my god! Well, don't even get right. me started on that. Not yeah. reading labels. Like if you're not reading the ingredient label of something and then thinking about it intelligently, you'll end up with a cabinet of people I know that are like this, where they have a grain-free, gluten-free cabinet full of pro-inflammatory foods. A lot of them are snack foods and easy to eat foods and convenience foods, which is, that's a cue there. And you're not doing yourself any favors. And what I was going to say is a lot of what the research is coming around to and a lot of the thinkers in this space are kind of converging on is this idea that maybe sugar wasn't really the really big cause of all of all the obesity and health, health-related problems and, and, and diabetes and heart attacks and all this. Maybe it's actually seed oils. And I'm leaning more towards that as well. Now, I believe that sugar can definitely, when you're in a already a, um, let's say pro-inflammatory state, you're already overweight, like you already have hormone issues, insulin issues. I don't like sugar is not doing you any favors. And most people do not need excuses to eat sugar. So that's my disclaimer. But sugar itself is mostly benign. It's just something that you can eat and you can use. And then it depends on what else is going on in your body. Do you have too much uh, insulin in your system? Do you have too much fat on your frame? Like then, then even something like fruit could maybe not be the most ideal thing you're trying to, uh, you should be eating, especially if you're trying to lose weight. Right. But again, there's different things here. Is it a health thing? Is it a weight loss thing? There's a lot of different rabbit holes to go down. I think seed oils though, is going to end up being in, in, in some combination of also like the omega-3 to omega-6 and like, like how far off that we are. I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that being the real, like grim reaper, of death when it comes to our food supply. Yeah. Yeah. Does that, the, I think I asked a question. There was like a second part, maybe, I guess like cooking, maybe a cooking recommendation. Oh, well, cook, yeah. You mentioned high, high stable cooking oils, which would be like, let's just say avocado oil is probably decent coconut oil. Um, and then obviously you got grass fed butters and geese and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So avocado oil is good, but it is high omega six. And so if you are maybe looking to lean out, that can be a a pose a problem because of balances and whatnot. I like, I use more ghee than anything at this point, because I think it's probably one of the cleanest, like grass-fed ghee is probably the cleanest high heat cooking oil you can find. And then coconut oil is more medium heat. Uh, I've also opened up a little bit on olive oil, high quality olive oil. If it's on like medium heat, I think it's actually fine. I don't think you have to be as worried about cooking that, but I also don't think that you should just try to cook with it all the time. And I don't think you should cook with it on high heat. I don't think you should cook with it in a pan that is steaming hot. Like, you know, so Mm. use that sparingly. And then, you know, any other oil, even if it is like a walnut oil or one of those other oils, like those should be treated as dressings or condiments. They should not Mm. be used in the cooking process. 
and that's mostly it. I mean, I guess I should say lard and tallow as well, but those are more medium heat cooking oils and yeah, ghee, butter. geese, but butter. butter, well, butter is medium heat. Cause you'll burn the butter solids and you'll get the brown butter. So like okay. butters for me is usually when I use to base something or if I'm baking something, I'll use butter, but if I'm high heat searing, I'll use ghee. And then towards the end of the cooking process, when I lower the heat a bit, I'll finish it in butter mm-hmm. rather than trying to sear it in butter because the temperature will be too hot and you'll burn the butter and then you'll get those burnt compounds. Okay. Gotcha. Um, what is your routine, right? As far as your fasting and your feasting routines, mine's always changing over time, but I'm curious because we talked probably a year ago. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one because I've been trying to reset that. Um, I definitely got into the phase of eating too many carbs lately and just being a little bit too lax with my nutrition. And then, so I went to the root. I said, Allison, we're not going to keep these certain foods in the house. And if they're not there, I can't eat them. Right. Cause like my big thing right now, and I'm trying to solve this. I don't know if it's like a sleep thing or it's a hormone thing. I have a, um, I have a high 24 hour cortisol. So I have a high, high kind of like fat, like metabolism and like, it explains why I talk fast and I do things and whatever, but like a byproduct of that is maybe high stress levels at times, even though I'm actually a relatively peaceful, calm person through life because entrepreneurship and life is taught me to be that way. I still have like biomechanically high free floating cortisol. And what it's been doing lately is I've been waking up a lot in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I've been waking up like raging hungry Mm. where in the sleep, like zombie walking state, I don't really have self-control. So what would happen is if there's like cassava chips, I'm just going to like go eat until like I'm either I wake up or I'm satisfied. And then I go back to bed and it's, it's not really ideal. And so what I'm doing is I'm resetting naturally since I started fasting back in the day, it was an 18, six and it was, you know, the lean gains method. So I would do, I would skip breakfast, eat dinner, basically like that would be like mostly one meal, maybe another meal. And then I wouldn't eat again until dinner the next day. That's kind of what I'm falling into though. What I've been doing lately is maybe breaking the fast around like three to four, which mm-hmm. I just did. Actually, I did a Chipotle bowl with triple protein. But the problem with that is for me is I get tired afterwards, especially since I'm like, if I eat early, I'm usually probably hungry. And so it's like this negatively reinforcing cycle where I overeat because I'm hungry. And then that messes up my, my hormones again, because I overate. And then like, you know, so it's just not a good thing. So my ideal routine now is dinner time. So 5 p.m. Only coffee, maybe some cream early. And then. Oh, wow. Late, it, late it, for coffee, but go ahead. You yeah. Well, so, so I do, I mean, I'll do like 10 a.m. coffee. What I actually stopped doing with coffee is I stopped having it right in the morning. I want to give myself like a good hour. Yeah. To I, would like, I don't want that. to be dependent on that. Right. So right. that's another kind of cortisol hack I'm trying to, I'm trying to fix. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also like not drinking as fast and as much. I'm like sometimes throwing away half the coffee because I really, really don't want to be dependent on coffee. I feel like yeah. I got a little bit too dependent on it and I tried cycling it back and it made me miserable. And I really don't like that. Right. So I do that. Then dinner time rolls around, works all done, whatever, eat the first meal. Ideally don't overeat. Cause I might be a little bit extra hungry at that point and then eat a smaller meal later at like eight to 9 PM Hmm, and then be done. That's like pretty good. What I'm running into though. And I got to figure this out. This is a couple of variables here. I'm, I'm waking up in the middle of the night to eat. So I'm not getting probably enough energy during the day and some combination of eating too many carbs, like in the past couple of months where my appetite it's like, it's still revved up. Like I still have that kind of carb induced, like hunger, eat more, more, more hormone appetite. And to reset that by going back to more of a carnivore base where it's mostly like meat and fat is really mostly what I try to eat. And I might like give myself like 
30 to 40 grams of carbs a day, some mm. fruit here and there. But I noticed that when I'm doing that, my body still craves more. And mm. I don't know if it's craving more carbs or just craving more calories in general, probably some combination of the two. So what I've been doing is upping my protein, right? Like that's why I did today. I did a, a chipotle bowl that had like probably 80 grams of protein. And I did like, I think three meats, mm. right? And so I'm hoping that helps mitigate it a little bit, but it's also just a transition period. Like if you've been eating carbs consistently for a while, like let's say it's hundred right. grams a day or whatever, and hundred grams for some people is low, but hundred grams for me is a lot. If your body gets used to hundred grams of carbs a day, it wants hundred grams of carbs a day. <laughs> yeah. It almost doesn't matter what else you do. You could eat thousands of calories. It still wants that hundred grams of carbs a day, especially, you know, sugar and certain things. So I'm just breaking that right now, but the fasting schedule is definitely consistent with not eating in the mornings because I just don't feel good if I do like every time I have breakfast with the kids, I just like eat it. And I'm like, oh, I kind of feel tired now. I don't like this. Right. And then eating kind of one bigger meal later. And then, but again, with that, you have to mitigate, make sure that first meal isn't too big because then you can kind of get lethargic afterwards. You can overeat, et cetera. Right. So you have to always, uh, you gotta, the variables matter for everything you do, right? Like you, and you have to control them. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it's a lot of it's just self-experimentation. What works for mm -hmm. me might not work for you. I mean, for me, I like to break my fast around, let's just say two, three o'clock. I, I, I went for a while, little while doing, doing one meal a day, but I found that I, I was like trying to like fit in all my like nutrients. I couldn't do it. I, yeah. I would eat too much and then I would feel sick. Like right. it just, one just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I like the two meals. Um, it's either that or no, or no meals for me, honestly, I'll, yep. for the most part. Um, and I actually, like you mentioned, I, I used to have this, like, this was years ago. I used to have like a big salad in the middle of the day. And it, that actually, I felt that weighed me down. So I've gone more to fats and proteins for that first meal. And mm -hmm. I actually back load, load my carbs a little bit. If I'm going to have carbs, I'll have them for that second meal. And that'll actually help with sleep a little bit. Hmm. And I also try not to eat too close to bed. Um, which, you know, for you, I don't know, maybe that might help a little bit, you know, if you're eating at eight, I don't know what time you go to sleep, but if you're eating at your that second meal at eight, nine o'clock, that might, you know, be yeah. a little bit close to bedtime, but yeah, I think it's definitely correlated in some way, right? Yeah. As, as I, as I move it more back to later, maybe it's hard to fall asleep, but then I wake up again. Hmm. It's tough. To, I mean, that's a tough thing. It's like, cause it could be other environmental factors, like maybe stress, maybe you're having exposure to mold. Like for me during cedar. Uh, season here in Texas, I get really messed up. So like every day that I'm not like every day that I don't feel like crap, I'm happy. Mm. And so it's like, how does that affect appetite, mood, energy, like sleep, you know? And so sometimes you have to just give it time and not force it too much. And sometimes you might have to come back to something you were at before and test that. Sometimes you might tweak this, tweak that. That's part of the, uh, the beauty of, of life <laughs> and the complexity. It's always changing it's, it, it, and you always have to stay on top of it, right? You always have to fight entropy. But humans, humanity and our biology, we want certainty. We want to like, no, this is how to do it every time. Give me a prescription and I'll never have to deviate from it, right? Because I don't want to think about it. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. But the anecdote is so much as you can have one is to build habits. Because when you build habits and routines, you don't have to think about it as much, right? Mm. So for like you and me to fast and like eat mostly clean, like fat and protein, like that's already like 80%, we're already 80% of the way there from just pure habit. Imagine somebody that's trying to go from 300 carbs a day, pasta, macaroni to like just making sure they eat like more protein this meal. Like they have to spend so much energy and, and willpower and control mm -hmm. and make so many decisions every time, right? That's exhausting, right? Which is why you want to continually build habits one at a time and then get those habits locked in 
and then build on top of that as your new foundation. I agree. And that's what I, and that's, you know, that it's funny, you know, that's what I try to do with my clients because, um, we're in a different state than that person is who is reliant on six meals a day and used to, you know, mm-hmm. let's just move from, instead of six meals, let's move to three meals. And then once we get that down, we can, you know, change another habit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I totally agree. Um, well, this was good, Colin. Um, probably could go for another hour, but yeah, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll stick with one hour. Um, is there anything else that you want to add? Where's it the best place to get you? Uh, I know you do a lot on YouTube. Uh, well, you tell us. <laughs> yeah. I have been on Twitter, actually. That's like a development this past year. And I really like the platform. The thing about Twitter is you have to be very careful how you use it because it'll very quickly use you if you don't use it. So I curate it and I pretty much unfollow anybody that is sharing things I don't want to engage in or whatever. You can even mute certain words where the tweets won't show up. You know, like don't go into the comments usually. Like even if you leave a comment, you're better off just kind of using it as a way to retweets and consume information and maybe broadcast yourself. And so I'm over on Twitter. Uh, we have the podcast, The Better Human, and my website where all my writing is and everything that I'm doing is thebetterhuman.co. That's also where you get the Better Human new- newsletter, which I'm sending out two to three times a week. And the readerships on that's been growing because I put I pour a lot into it. Um, that's where to follow along. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, betterhuman.co. A lot of great tips. The better human, the better human. Somebody else, excuse me. Somebody else has got that. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) The better human.co. I'll put some links in the, when we, uh, on the, on the bottom of the podcast. Um, well, thanks again, Colin. I, I appreciate you coming on and a lot of great knowledge today. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. And we'll, we'll do it more often that way you can like get, get some more of, uh, what needs to be said out, you know? Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.